Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Flavia Gapper, Director of Help and Advice at the Charity for Civil Servants, an organization that supports all civil servants past and present through whatever problems they may have. Flavia, hello. Hi, Matthew. Lovely to be here today on this beautiful sunny day. Yes, thank you for coming on the program. And I won't keep you from the sun all that long, uh, (laughs) but we should get into uh, a bit of a conversation about why we all have such freedom from our offices at the moment, and that would be the coronavirus outbreak. How has this affected your operations? Um, Well, absolutely. Um, It was um, quite a shock, the sort of speed with which lockdown happened. Um, but we were very impressed with our staff because within two weeks, we'd kind of turned it round. We were working. We were quite lucky because the civil service was also doing the same things that we were at the same time. So we were a little bit quiet exactly when we had to kind of regroup, get our laptops all out into people's homes. We also had a regional team, though, and we've, we've always got a regional team, which helps us inordinately to sort of move through if things do go wrong in the in the quarters building we have got teams to to actually manage the continuity of all our services so in a way it probably seemed pretty seamless to people Um, but for us we did have a bit of a slowdown but we had a slowdown of applications as well because I think people were also adjusting and about 80% of the people that come to us are people who are full-time working or part-time working but they're in work. Let's talk a bit about the charity for civil servants Uh, if you might elaborate a bit more on uh, what you're actually up to. Sure. Well, what we're up to at the moment is a a whole range of things, really. And what we do is we base our our whole services upon people's needs. So whereas we started off being very much in the old philanthropic mode of a charity that gives out money either to to mutual star membership, um, widows and orphans, nursing homes, that sort of thing. Um, But by the turn of the the 21st century, really, things needed to change quite quite drastically. And we realised that money on its own, it's good it's very helpful but it's a sticking plaster and people are in severe debt often so we started other services like a financial conduct authority compliant debt advice service for example because we realized that unless people can do something about their debt and make themselves ready for for debt solutions our financial help may be not as helpful as it could be if they could also do other things Um, and there's also great strains particularly um, through coronavirus period um, there have been even more strains on people who are caring for example and we started a thing called the carers passport which has now morphed into the civil service carers passport which is across the civil service now Um, and we sort of offer that support and we work with people like Carers UK some fantastic organisations we have their heart to make sure our, our products and our services and our resources are all suitable so for whoever comes to us they have the resources they need whether it's well-being or financial assistance absolutely fantastic uh, well we should transition into the reason why you're here today and that's leadership um, i always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question what does the word leader mean to you well, leader in a charity is actually a quite um, a quite interesting role because you you lead by example, like all leadership does, um, but you lead by by also building 
participation by building buy-in. Um, people don't work for charities because um, they want a great salary. They want to actually achieve a lot. And a bit like people who work for the civil service, you know, they have an altruistic trend in, in their personality. That means they come for a reason. They want to do good. Um, and if you're not providing that, if your organization isn't effective and firing on all cylinders and offering what people need, people soon get wind of that and they start to disengage. So leadership's about getting the buy-in, understanding people, understanding how they work, understanding the need out there and giving people the responsibility and allowing them to participate, empowering them to do work. And I, I very much believe in good work as, as a leader. So People have control of their own workload. So whatever job, whatever role they're having in the, in the charity, we as charities have the opportunity to actually provide good work for people. And that that's critical to me. Um, so leading is bringing in talented people, um, helping facilitating that, um, and sometimes making tough decisions and being accountable for them in the charity too. Fantastic. Uh, well, when it comes to your day-to-day -day leadership style, where would you say that it is? How would you describe it? My own leadership is, is style is a quite democratic one. Um, I'm very much about kind of inspiring people to the vision, the overall vision, um, and letting them learn. I believe hugely in a learning culture. So I know it's much of a cliche when people always say, you know, lessons learned or lessons to learn. But I think if you don't actually sit down sometimes and reflect on what's gone wrong without looking at who did it, um, you know, it's about learning from that example. Because Every failure brings success beyond it. So nothing works brilliantly um, when it first runs. There's always things to develop on it. Start it and you have that iterative approach to learning from it to actually make it into a really brilliant product or a brilliant service. And mm. I, I think that applies to charities as much as, you know, the private sector when you're actually having an innovative product develop. Um, but, but people learning and not being afraid to fail, um, not being afraid to learn either. Um, to avoid that sort of blame culture or fear of doing anything at all, that sort of inertia that you can get in some places. It's absolutely important to be able to have that space to fail, isn't it? Uh, without failure, one wouldn't have invention. Um, now, yeah. leadership is a learned uh, behavior. So let's go back to the beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Did you have any particular individuals who shaped the way in which you lead today? Um, I'd say particularly, um, I mean, I had my sort of heroes, you know, political heroes and things like that. But actually within within my workplace, um, the person I most remember is when I worked at Roehampton University, a guy called David Woodman, who was fantastic, um, who basically got the best out of all of his teams, whether it's an academic or support staff team, um, by doing exactly what I've tried to practice since, which is allowing people, finding the talent and then nurturing that talent and stepping back rather than stepping in all the time and allowing people to, to have their freedom, their space to learn and then reflect on that. And I think I think he's probably my biggest hero. So, um, so thank you, David. And what sort of lessons can you learn from him on a day-to-day -day basis? What sort of lessons do you still think back on and say that is the most important thing I learned? Um, well, one... One of the most important things is patience. I'm quite an impulsive person and I react quite quickly to things. So that stepping back bit is often quite difficult for me. I think, oh, I know how to do this or I should I should be able to do this. And, you know, 
I can problem solve or whatever. And it's, it's as you become a leader, you you need to do less of that and less of the um, things which might make you credited with things and allow that credit to, to devolve to other people and be proud of that and, and praise and nurture that. And that's one of the critical skills, I think, as a leader. It's quite hard to develop that because we all love praise and we all feed on that. Um, to step back and say, I don't get this and that's okay. And, I, you know, the reward is actually in seeing other people develop. That's probably a critical thing for me. When it comes to developing people, do you take a uh, straightforward um, uh, mentor-mentee approach, or do you believe that it's it's better to just kind of fly off the cuff? Um, I do a bit of both, actually. So I think it's important to have structure, and a lot of people need structure as well. So um, I think you have the structure, so you have things like performance and appraisal systems and all the rest of it, and personal development sessions. Um, but I've also believed in adapting my approach sometimes so for example in the workplace I've found sometimes people actually have got issues which need a bit of life coaching or something like that to get them a bit unstuck or they can't see their own development opportunities um, and and sometimes for those people they might need that sort of coaching approach where other people need um, more structure or, or less coaching so I think you adapt your approach but you have the same structures available to people and within that you develop what people's preferences are and respond to those preferences because I think everybody learns differently. Everybody um, needs different things of their leader or their manager and you need to respond to that. And, and if you take a sort of one-size-fits-all approach, that will never work. But you have to have fair structures that are open and transparent so that people can see the bedrock of it is a fair system. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go... What does the next 12 months at the Charity for Civil Servants look like? It's going to look amazing because I mean, we've accelerated a lot of our digital work, in fact. We're also looking at co-producing and co-creating. And we've been starting that already, but relying on the insight of our audiences. And we're hoping to reach more people. So all our former retired um, civil servants that we don't reach enough of at the moment, we're hoping to reach um vast tracts more of those and keep our services relevant and the digital approach has allowed us to actually increase our, our interventions one-to-one as well because it means we can free up some of our time to really help the people that are struggling or need more help um, so it's quite exciting here it's been a pause for reflection but it's also been an acceleration of some of our work which means that some things are happening faster than we'd reckoned um, what I don't like to see though is people in need and in a way some of the huge advances we might make might be because people are still struggling and struggling even more during the next coming years. So we need to be very responsive and very quick in, in responding to that need because it's going to probably hit us in autumn onwards. Well, I look forward to speaking with you when things get back to a more normal uh, way of being. But in the meantime, Flavia, thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. That was Flavia Gappa. Director of Help and Advice at the Charity for Civil Servants. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. 
But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. 
and it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger so I, I had an impact of thinking I 
at that stage, I looked like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, 
three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it's... It, uh, um, and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just 
luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, hmm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant 
that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mindedness, single mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.